I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill. And I'm sitting across the table from my longtime friend, Grace Guard Dog Steve. Hello, everybody. Good to be back. Oh, it is. Yeah, I'm glad you're back. It's good to have you back, Bill. Missed you. I missed you. I missed being here. And I miss talking about the grace of God. We kind of got a statement to, to put out. A declaration. A declaration. God hates sin. God hates sin. The guardians of grace hate hates sin. Hates sin. Yes, yes. That's let that's, it be said and let it be heard. That's the new mantra. If anyone accuses us of tolerating sin, listen to this podcast. Yes, we unequivocally denounce sin. We, in no shape, way, or form, endorse sin. A sinful lifestyle, sinning of any kind. Sins of omission, sins of commission, all alike are us and to be not tolerated in the least. Untolerable at Guardians of Grace. We hate sin. But we want to show you how to actually whoop sin. Yes. It is our enemy. And it is possible, guys. It, you are, it is possible to, for you to live, to blossom as a Christian. To blossom as a Christian. It happened to Bill and I, and we've lived in peace, in almost an effortless life, yet we do shine. By God's grace, we do shine. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that, that we do shine. Here's here's where the confusion comes in, Steve. And yes. then I, I maybe we can review last week's podcast, because yeah. we left something out. But the confusion is... If God hates sin, and he does, then why did he give us the law when we find out later that through the law is, one, the knowledge of sin? That's what we're supposed to find out. But that the power of sin comes from the law, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty six. The law was added that the trespass would increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all, all the more. more. Well, why not start off with grace? Well, there's a big reason why God did not start off with grace. God is a patient God, and he's going to deal with the problem totally and effectively. He did deal with the problem. He did deal with the problem. And he's going to. You're right. And he's going to. In our experiential day-to-day life, he is dealing with the problem. 
but God was willing to be misunderstood and allow himself to be criticized, ridiculed, almost seem ineffective. He was willing to do that so he could reach us where we're at. There's there's a truth there that God comes to you where you're at. Otherwise, we would never come to God. So, yes, he comes to us even in our darkness because in his light, there is light. But he comes to our darkness with his light and in his light, there is light. That's how we overcome sin because he came to us when we couldn't come to him. And he loves us enough to come to us in our darkest, most vile, most embarrassing, most shameful. Yes, that's where he comes to us to bring us to where he is. And so that last, go ahead. That's what he did in last week's podcast. That's what he did to the guy who got out of the church. He came to him at his lowest point and caused him to go prodigal and want to come back. Yes, he effectively dealt with a major sin problem in this guy's life. Yeah, and that was incest. Yeah. So if you could maybe review a little bit about last week's podcast. Okay. Last week we did a podcast answering a question about what are the keys to the kingdom of God and how do you bind and loose? We were showing that uh, that Paul used the keys to the kingdom of God to bind and loose in 1 Corinthians, to, to bind. And in 2 Corinthians, he used the keys to the kingdom to loose. And we saw that. And let me just make this declaration that we just touch the top of the iceberg on that subject. We didn't do an exhaustive, many-sided wisdom on that subject. We just wanted to use the two popular ways in which binding and loosing and fellowship and on and on it goes. We brought out one way in which you can be bound up and loosed is with the idea of forgiveness in that forgiveness can bind you up for a lifelong. Yeah, yeah, unforgiveness. I'm sorry. Unforgiveness can bind you up for an entire lifetime. You can be bound to unforgiveness. can make you physically sick. Physically. But you can be loosed from it. That was one aspect of binding and loosing. But the, the, the main one was sought out in 1 Corinthians where Paul used Jesus spoke about the kingdom, the keys to the kingdom. And he said, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. And we know about that in Matthew 16, 19 and following. But then Paul actually uses the keys to the kingdom and shows us how to use the keys to the kingdom. Because Jesus said, if somebody's in sin, you go to them by yourself. You go to them with a friend. You go to them with the whole church. And then you make them as a tax collector, which means tax collectors weren't allowed in the synagogue. Synagogue. So out of the church he goes if the whole entire church has told him, stop being incest with your father's wife. 
So in 1 Corinthians, he was put out of the church. And Paul used the keys to the kingdom to do such a thing. It means he was not allowed to fellowship in the kingdom as defined as the church. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is defined as a feeling that is within you. It is defined as the crowd that was around Jesus. It is defined as the church. And it is defined as what will happen at the end of time when the kingdom of God is formed on earth in a tangible way. Right now, the kingdom of God is not so tangible. It's more eternal and invisible. But when it's used as the kingdom of God is the church, well, he was put out of the church due to incest, unrepentant incest. We haven't yet showed about how many verses are on the subject of fellowshipping with either the spirit or fellowshipping with the flesh and the fact that you're not obligated to fellowship with the flesh, the human nature, the sin in the flesh. You're not obligated to do it because it's dangerous. It can, you know, Bill, you guys, when you first got married, you got sabotaged by somebody in the flesh. <laughs> yes. Treacherous person. Yes. Treacherous well, flesh of the person. Before we go forward, can you explain the difference, Steve? Okay, so this guy was having an incestuous affair with his mother or, or his mother-in-law. Father. Yeah, father's wife. Yeah. Now, if he said, if, if at any point this guy had said, yeah... You're right. I've I've got into this thing and I can't get out of it. Do you put that guy out? No, no, no. What's not. the difference? That there was a thing called repentance or a renewing of the mind is what actually happened. If you really want to analyze it, it, he went from the mind of the flesh to the mind of the spirit. The mind of the spirit is dominating him now. And he's saying, I, I changed my mind about that idea. So in the modern day church, say there's a guy, he's he found an internet porn site and he sneaks in there and looks at it, but he hates it. Do we put that guy? How do we deal with that guy? Do we put him out of the church? Bill, do you have something you need to tell me? <laughs> Asking for a friend. Just kidding. Just kidding. Y yes, the, the guy who's repenting and battling against it and does not, is not proud of it. The incest guy was proud of what he was doing and spreading that idea to other people saying, you should try it too. But the guy who's trying to repent and having a hard time, he's not spreading out that you should do it too. So he's not dangerous to the church. The first guy was dangerous because he was telling other people to try it. And he was proud about it. The guy you're talking about, Bill, is not proud of it. And he's not telling other people. He's not trying to infect other people. He is having a problem that's self-contained and waiting for the power of Jesus to do it 
and he's not damaging the church. So you only use the keys to the kingdom of God when the kingdom of God is being damaged or infected or warred upon by the sin guy. So that's where it comes into play. Love covers a multitude of sin. Yes. So the guy that hates what he's doing, he doesn't need the elders to be called in and talk to him. He doesn't need the whole church to come in and talk to him. That can be dealt with privately. Yes. And handled with prayer and encouragement and lots of Guardians of Grace podcasts. Many Guardians of Grace podcasts. Oh. Grace teachings yeah. are what will change the person and get them out of something he can't get himself out of. Mm-hmm. It, it actually is true. Many of got uh, Guardians of Grace podcasts. That, yeah. That's actually a true statement. That's the remedy. Helps. Yeah. So there's a big difference between a guy struggling with something and a guy that just flat out says, I'm, I'm this way, I'm going to be this way, I'm proud of this way, I'm announcing it this way, and you got to accept me. And that's where we say, no. No. We don't. We're going to look at the scriptures, too. So you said that the scriptures that say you don't even have to eat lunch with a person like that. But before we do, Bill, I want to ask you a question. And here it is. If God hates sin but loves the sinner, what did God do with the sin? Oh, that's a great question. There's the first thing he dealt with when the sin happened with Adam and Eve. If you remember, they tried to sew fig leaves together and cover themselves. But what did God do? He provided animal skins. And sometimes we think, well, God provided animal skins because God cannot look upon sin. But was it for God's sake or was it for Adam and Eve's sake? Adam and Eve's sake. They were they were ashamed of themselves and trying to cover their shame as hard as they could and they couldn't do it. So God covered their shame for them. So the first thing God did was provide a sacrifice so to speak, yeah. Animal skins came from somewhere. And he provided a covering for them so that they didn't have shame in their lives. Glaring they, in their face. They weren't naked and ashamed. Yes. And that is why God blocked off the Garden of Eden from Adam and Eve, because now Adam and Eve had guilt and shame as their emotions. And God did not want them to have eternal life always feeling guilty and shamed. He blocked off the Garden of Eden as a total act of mercy. It wasn't punishment. It was an act of mercy because he didn't want them living forever in a state of guilt and shame. So he took care of on the cross the issue of guilt and shame so they could live forever not feeling guilty and ashamed towards God. When I say they had guilt and shame, I meant they felt that when they were fellowshipping with God, they would run and hide from him. He didn't want them to 
feel like he wasn't cool with God, which he was. So he devised the whole cross scenario to cause all of mankind to realize we don't have to feel guilt and shame if we come in front of God because he took care of that misbehavior. Before he took care of the issue of sin, which he is going to do, Mm -hmm. he took care of the shame of sin. And the judicial punishment. And that is why law came before grace. Because it was the law that made the problem, made us aware of the problem. How unsolvable is the problem of the sin came before the remedy for the unsolvable sin problem. But before he can get to the remedy for the unsolvable sin problem, which is the new covenant and the ministry of the Spirit to deal with it. And we're talking about getting rid of sin in your day-to-day experience. But before that can happen, happen, you have to have a clear conscience before God to even deal with the sin problem. Which meant Jesus had to take away your sin. So he who's died has been acquitted from sin, Romans 6, 6. By the Lamb of God who takes away away the sin sin. of the world from each and every one of us. That's John 1, 29. John the Baptist says, behold, look, check it out. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that's what he did. He took it away. So when you say God loves the sinner but hates sin and he can't look at sin anymore, he doesn't look at sin anymore because he took it away. He separated us as far as the east is from the west because as Romans 6, 7 says, he crucified the old man of us and left him in the grave. The old man of us that Ephesians 4 says, put off in your day-to-day experience, the old man of us that we can experience day-to-day in the old man of us that embarrasses us in God's eyes is actually, and it's literally the ancient man of us. That's how long ago he separated us from the old man in his eyes so far back in time that he can say your sins and lawless deeds I remember no more and of course he could remember them but because he's God he made a covenant saying I will remember them no more he He didn't say I can remember them no more he said I will and that's what acting in love is that's what forgiveness is is not bringing it up again it's forgiving it's a saying forgive and forget and we have a relationship with a God who forgave and forgot our sins and lawless deeds yeah so see when you say he hates sin but loves the sinner and God can't be around sin he can't condone sin it's actually God can't favor sin isn't that what the verse says yeah, let me read you this this one in, say, Habakkuk one thirteen. Okay. That's okay. the one we get the God cannot look upon sin. Right. 
you've heard that quote before. God, God cannot look. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's where it comes from. Habakkuk one thirteen. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? How we get that out of this passage, I don't know, but we get that God cannot look at sin. He It says right there, verbatim god cannot look at sin with favor with right and the guy can't figure out how he does that because he's saying the wicked are all around me they're pummeling me if god cannot look upon sin i'm leaving off with favor if god Mm -hmm. cannot look upon sin how can he help us amen because remember he came to us in flesh to deal with us deal with us that sounds the wrong word yeah that's true that's true good to to love us to love us and to rescue us that's a better word and he's rescuing us from our enemies now that was the big confusion when jesus was walking the earth that's how everyone missed it because they thought jesus was going to conquer the roman empire which they thought was their enemies set up his kingdom and reign in Jerusalem and everything would be cool. They would be vindicated. The Jews would be vindicated and God would put down the Roman the Roman Empire, which was their enemies. He didn't do any such thing. He, in fact, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. He, he also said the, the kingdom shall be within you. The enemies he's fighting are not the Romans. No, Bill, they're not the Romans at all. They're not people at all. We never fight against other people. The people that you're around that are bothering you are not your enemies. It's the sin guy inside of those people. You remember Paul said, nothing good dwells in me. Only the sin dwells in me. And he said, the sin noun as a person, the sin guy dwells in me and he wages war against me and he makes me do what I do not want to do. And that is who you war against because that is who is causing the fleshly person in front of you, the human person with the driver's license to behave the way he is. But he is not your enemy. It's the personified sin man inside of him that is your enemy and your weapons your weapons against a human being would be you you grab a weapon but the weapons that we use because it's not him it's the sin guy in him they are divine weapons they're divinely powerful I'm talking about what it what it says in, in Second Corinthians ten. Let, let's go there because it's gonna say what I'm trying to say better than I can say it. Okay, so Second Corinthians ten, starting in verse three. For though we walk as humans, we do not war according to the flesh or our human effort. We do not walk war 
according to what we can produce as human beings. We walk in war by a divine power. That's what it's going to say. For the weapons of our warfare are not of human origin. They are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses and the destroying of speculations and every lofty thought that's raised up against the knowledge of God. And this divine power is taking captive these thoughts to the obedience of Christ. And when your obedience is made complete, passive voice, you didn't make it complete. You had nothing to do with your obedience. This divine power warred against the powers of darkness and subdued them and then manifest itself through you, making you a pure and holy Christian, the one that you want to be. It says when your obedience is complete, they're ready to, to punish the, the sin man the sin man in you. That's why it says you are looking at things as they are outwardly. See, he says it right there. You're making a mistake if you're looking at Bill as the enemy. You're looking at things outwardly. You're supposed to look inwardly at the two natures. And we're going to do the rest of the podcast on fellowshipping with the two natures and talking about your obligation to fellowship with the two natures. But right now we're seeing that this passage is literally about thoughts and lofty ideas that are against the idea that Christ in you is your only hope of glory. Anything other than that is a lofty thought and those crazy thoughts that the person in front of you that you want a war against, but now you're learning not to look at the outside, but look at the inside, those crazy thoughts are being thought of by the sin person that lives in your human nature who has control of that person. And he is who you battle, the sin guy. And you battle with him with divine weapons. They're spiritual weapons caused by the Spirit of God. That's why the battle still belongs to the Lord. And all this whole battleground is taking place between your ears. Yes. In your mind. Mm-hmm. Read that passage. Let me see. In Psalm 68, 1-3, it's a the, famous one that people quote let God arise and his enemies be scattered. That is not an outward, it sounds like it, but it's not a outward, but it's let the spirit of, of Christ arise in your mind and those thoughts will scatter. Right. But, go ahead. It's the spirit in you arises and scatters that enemy. That's why in the last podcast we were saying it's not you with the authority to cast out demons and bind up demons and everything like that. The angels don't even do that. But Christ in you, point blank verbatim says, scatters the enemies. Exactly. And that's the war that Jesus came to fight. And he does fight it after putting down 
it, it says he must reign until his enemies are under his feet. And so he's not waging war on the adult bookstores and the they had all that in Jesus day probably a lot worse. He didn't fight that battle and we're not to fight that battle. We're to go to those people and our battle is over their heart, winning their heart to God. Mm-hmm. Or let, let God winning their heart for them. Yep. Impregnating them with the spirit of Christ. That's our battle. Bringing them the good news, the Bring, gospel. Yes. Yes. And that good news, that gospel is capable of overcoming any any sin known to mankind. Yes. The gospel will do its own work. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto deliverance from sin. Yes. From faith to faith. So what we're saying is the God who hates sin but loves the sinners and can't look at sin, he took care of the sin problem, that sin problem, through Jesus on the cross. And he buried the sin in the grave and raised us up out of that, circumcised us from it, and seated us in the heavenly realms. That's how he took care of that sin problem. So in you, he sees sin no more. You are a vessel that has been cleaned out and you are a clean vessel. Now, that's how he took care of, I can't look at sin thing. He doesn't look at sin. He doesn't even remember the old man and he doesn't remember our sin and lawless deeds anymore. So he looks at us and he can work inside of us. Don't you know that you are the temple of God and he lives in you by his spirit? He He's not going to live in a dirty temple. He, another passage says you are vessels of God and he lives in you by his spirit. He's not going to live in a dirty vessel. He took care of it. But now we are talking about experiential doctrines because the experiential doctrines are another way in which God takes care of it in your day-to-day life's experience. He took care of it long ago and he can be your vessel so he can take care of it during the day. He took care of it long ago, which is an eternal doctrine. Now we're going to temporal doctrines about how you live the Christian life and you live it by his spirit, but we are going to show what Paul says and what John says about fellowshipping. We're gonna go and look at some temporal experiential doctrines about fellowshipping, the do's and don'ts of fellowshipping big section of the New Testament is devoted to telling you the do's and don'ts of fellowshipping, body life, life in the Christian community. And we're going to look at those verses for just a few minutes, but they may create a change in your life. They may change you, but we'll start off in 2 Corinthians 13. We'll look at verse 14. Because there it says, let the 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. He introduces the idea of fellowship with the Holy Spirit, but, but doesn't yet define it. Usually people think it's it's like breaking fellowship or not breaking fellowship with God who's in the third heaven. I'm in fellowship with God who's in the third heaven. Now I'm out of fellowship with him. All that is ludicrous because he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He won't break fellowship with you. He is inside of you. But fellowship with the spirit is more or less when two or three are gathered together I am in their midst. When two or three Christian is gathered together, are gathered together, Christ is in the midst. Christ is in each one of them, and their fellowship can be full of joy. They can fellowship with Jesus, the Lord of the universe, because he's inside of each and every person. If you if it begins to dawn on you that you do have Christ in you, the hope of glory, you were born again. And that's what it means. He put Christ in you and he manifests through you. That's why we at guardians of grace talk so much about manifesting Christ. We beat that word to death, but it's an important word to know because you manifest Christ. And that's exactly what it is meant in first john the first chapter when john says we're telling you about this guy jesus and he says we touched him and held him and we want you to know about him and this is the reason this is the reason he says the reason we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also, they proclaim to him what they seen and heard so he can get born again, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with God and his son, Jesus Christ. John did not want to follow fellowship with Steve and his human nature. He wanted to fellowship with God through Steve. He wanted to fellowship with the Spirit. He wanted it to be Spirit-to-Spirit fellowship. And look at what he says next, so that your joy can be complete. You can have complete joy when you're fellowshipping with the Spirit and you're not obligated at all. We're going to show the verses. You're not obligated at all to fellowship with the flesh. We're going to show those verses, but right now he's saying, I'm writing this letter so that you also can fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with God and his son, Jesus Christ. I'm writing this letter to make your joy complete. And the rest of the letter is how to spot the difference between the flesh or the spirit. And it goes on with about 20 examples. I'll give you one, but it goes on with about 20 examples of what the flesh looks like or what the spirit looks like. And each time it uses a synonymous illustration. 
I'm just going to do one, and then we're going to go back to what we were talking about. Okay, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, and we'll go to verse 5. Whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God is truly been perfected or shown or manifest. By this we know that we are in him and he is in us. You know what all that means, that we are in him, we are in his power, and that he is in us, he is manifesting his power through us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner Jesus walked. In other words, if I come to you and say, you're fellowshipping with the Spirit, I should be acting like Jesus himself. And if I'm not acting like Jesus, then you know, you have learned that I'm not in the Spirit and your joy can't be complete when we fellowship. You can't imagine how much of this New Testament is predicated on knowing about having Christ in you, knowing that he manifests himself through you, and knowing that he can minister through you better than anybody else, and he can fellowship better than anybody else through you. There's so much that this New Covenant says about fellowshipping with the Spirit through people, and it seems to be overlooked in the modern-day church because we're giving out so many do's and don'ts. We call fellowship with the Spirit that you can break your fellowship with a God who's in the third heaven. When that's not it at all, the Bible goes on and on and on to try and give you the picture that Christ is in you and he manifests himself through you. Where two or three together, I'm in their midst, and you can fellowship with the Spirit of God throughout the day through people. They can talk to you and tell you the wisdom of God himself. They can give you right on advice, but you've got to look and analyze to see if they're in the Spirit or not. And oh, there is so, you know what? I'm going to say it. The Bible is replete with this idea about fellowshipping in the spirit. And when I say replete, I mean it. It means it's saturated with this and it is overlooked. But the spirit, the fellowshipping with the spirit idea is everywhere. And once you get turned on to the fact that it's talking about fellowshipping with the spirit through a person, you'll read the whole bunch of epistles a different way. You will see them in a different light and you'll trip out. You'll have such a good time reading the Bible just by knowing that a lot of it's talking about fellowshipping with the Spirit or not. Okay, so, so we see even that the, the warfare is spiritual. It brings up to your point, you don't have to think about these. It, it, in Galatians, it talks about the acts of the flesh are what? Obvious. They're not. They're not scratching your head. Is that the... Right. Is this guy in having an affair with his father's wife? Is that... He must be in cool? the flesh. Yeah. No, yeah. It, they're no-brainers. They're no-brainers. It, it's just common sense. 
when to fellowship with somebody and when to do this. The very next verse I'm going to take you to and then I'm going to close. So I just want to bring to completion that thought. Okay. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious. It says list a few. Then it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But before that, it says that the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. It says that they are in opposition one to another so that you do not do what you want. And what this guy wanted to do was carry out this affair with his father's wife. But the battle took place, even though he was put out of fellowship, that's when God's spirit can go to work on this guy. And the spirit was warring against the flesh, and the flesh was warring against the spirit. And guess who won? Amen. The spirit won, and this guy was put back in fellowship. Amen. The spirit went to battle. The spirit fought the sin. Yes. His weapons were not fleshly, but they were mighty through God. It was the spirit that pulled down the stronghold. It was the spirit that did this invisible battle and whooped the sin problem for that guy in this first Corinthian church members it's, life. It's, it's a second Timothy two twenty four. The disciple must be gentle and not quarrelsome in hopes that God would grant repentance and the person would come to their senses and a knowledge of the truth and escape escape the trap trap of the the devil devil who's taking them captive captive to do his will. I think this guy fell under that category. And he did get graced by God to escape it. He was released. Yes. And the sin was whooped. Yep, and then he's in the spirit again, and we're going to get back to addressing him when he's in the spirit right after I talk about these verses. Okay, it said, I'm talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 5, last couple verses. In this passage, it says, if a person is covetous or a swindler or an idolater, I've actually written to you not to associate with the so-called brother should he be immoral or covetous covetous, or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindle. Do not even eat with such a person. For what I do I have to do with judging outsiders? Do not those who are within the do I not judge those who are within the church but those who are outside God judges and he says remove the wicked man from among you He's, he, that guy's getting exiled from the church but they're saying don't even eat with somebody who's in the flesh you're not obligated to do that if you see somebody manifesting the flesh you can say man I don't want to eat with you right now like especially if somebody's drunk you you know how bad that is to fellowship with a drunk but anybody who's in the flesh in any way shape or form you are not obligated to eat with them and those are one of the temporal experiential doctrines about 
life and day-to-day life and it's a doctrine about how to fellowship and it's a good doctrine it's an enlightening doctrine it can make you wise beyond measure just knowing whether you're fellowshipping with the spirit or the flesh and you aren't obligated to fellowship with the flesh you can dodge it if you want you can say no i'm busy that day sorry you don't even have to pick up the phone you don't have to pick up the phone always should i repeat that (laughs) you may be actually interfering in the work god is doing by handing this man over to satan right it says hand this man over to satan that his soul might be saved that his spirit would be saved, that his flesh would be corrupted, but his spirit would be saved. It says, it's that word henna, for the purpose of having his spirit saved. Yeah, I've delivered such a one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that's what we want to destroy, that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit... They want the spirit to come back out. And when the spirit did come out of this guy who was incest, and that's a gross, repugnant thing to be. But let's look at what happened when he came to his senses and became prodigal and wanted to come back to the church. Okay, for all you who are taking note, I'm talking about 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. We're talking about the guy who was incest, came to his senses, and wants to come back to the church because now he's in the spirit. He's no longer in the flesh. Sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive him and comfort him, lest somehow such a one be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Throw him a party. Like like the prodigal son. Like the father did for the prodigal son, yes. And the the thing about the prodigal son, he came back in shame with pig pen clothes and pig pen smell, but before he got back to the house his father sent ahead and got a robe he didn't want That's any cool. of that to be reminded he didn't right. want this guy to be reminded of it he didn't need anyone like you know perfectly clean yeah yeah now i know people that would put the guy back on probation first yeah and we hear the other brother all the time in the church exactly throw the guy a party he's back he's the, back rejoice the work of God in judgment was done. Yes. It worked. Yes. He's a new man. Like it says, I believe in James, he who turns a brother from his sins covers a multitude of sin. Those sins need, those multitude of sins need to be covered and never brought up again. God says, I'll forget your lawless deeds. We should too. Once the guy's in the spirit though, you're allowed to react you know, whatever you need to do is okay. You're not obligated to fellowship with somebody in the flesh. But once they're in the spirit, what does it say? You rejoice and receive them back. And don't hold it against them and remember it and make yourself bitter over it. 
Exactly. Because then you're the one who's enslaved. You're the one who's yes. been bound by unforgiveness. You need to be loosed. You need to be loosed. Going back to whatsoever you bind has already been bound in heaven. Whatsoever you bind on earth has been bound in heaven already. And whatsoever you loose shall be loosed. Is loosed is in loosed heaven. In <laughs> <laughs> I can't get that right either, man. It seems so simple, but is already loosed in heaven. Amen. Interpretation. Let yeah. it let it go. Father God, please give us your spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would understand these scriptures for what they are and that we would take root in this new covenant idea, this new covenant concept about the spirit being in you and you can actually fellowship spirit to spirit and make your joy complete. Just have a ball with each other. Don't need to be doing anything, but just fellowshipping with each other when both of you are in the spirit is a cool way to do it. Both of you are cool cats and everything is going well when you do this, Father. Amen. Amen. Jesus' name, amen. Good night, you guys. We love you. I love you.